Hey everyone, what is up? I am Charlie Shrem, and I'm joined today with my good friend Phil Filet Mignon and my guest Gilbert Hill today. You are listening and watching Untold Stories, where twice a week, for you, like five to six times a week for me, I get to talk to the brightest crayons in the box, the sharpest tools in the shed, the coolest people in the room, and the people that really are pushing this industry forward because, hey, like, where the hell are we going? And, and what is crypto? What is Bitcoin? What is, where do all these puzzles fit into that larger puzzle piece? Uh, sorry, where do all these puzzle pieces fit into that larger puzzle that is, or what we call crypto? So thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Great to be here. So Gilbert, Mr. Can I call you Mr. Hill? Call I like me Gilbert. Oh, uh, well, call me Mr. Hill, but Gilbert is my name. Mr. Hill. <laughs> Gilbert. You know, we were talking earlier um how very very briefly how I didn't know this. There's a huge fundamental difference between how data is governed and owned in the EU versus in the US. And most people don't even know what that is. What is that major difference? Well, the fundamental difference is that um, in the EU, and this is sort of enshrined with GDPR, which was like the Pandora's box, which blew all of this open. For the longest time, companies who process people, our data, um, do something with it, um, uh, they don't own it. They're only custodians of it. Um, and they have certain, you know, they still have certain duties in terms of, in terms of doing the right thing. The thing was, but until very recently, until GDPR shone a light to that, lots of companies were assuming that it was their property and treating it as such, you know, which is the situation you inherently have in the US. Um, and, you know, we all built, you know, big lakes of data and we viewed it as an asset. What's happening now um, is that GDPR and other regulations actually led in the States by, by, uh, by California turning these takes these lakes uh, into toxic um, toxic sort of sludge what do you mean toxic sludge because it's getting to the point you know I'm a technologist and you know so the background is you know when we were building um, a new app or a database driven application we take an approach of let's get all the data um, and you know that was how startups monetize but you get you, you get Lots of data, you'd find a way to store it more or less securely, and then you'd work out a way to work, work out a way to monetize it. What's happening now with regulation, you know, a regulation and also consumer awareness around data and data misuse and abuse is that um, the risks associated with holding that data, unless you're doing something damn good with it, are being are are are, are outweighing the benefits that most most organisations can get. Hence, that analogy. You know, you know, we've heard so many times like data is a new oil, etc. Mm. I think if it, toxic sludge, I'm thinking more. It, it's more like you know, it's a new it's a new nuclear power, and a lot of the data that we have that we we amass as organisations are like those spent fuel rods. So the big one of the big challenges of you know the 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 web now is how to deal how to de-silo this data. And either do something with it, um, or deal people in, or to decommission it safely. I've heard that term "desilo data" a few times on this show, and that's what really one of the advents of, of blockchain technology is that you get one of the inventions of blockchain technology is that it allows you to have all this data all over, and then make it so it's it's more permissioned. You choose who you want to give your data to. But going back to what you said, 
How did that all come about? Did do you think that like shift from you know from if I understand you correctly, you're saying that there was a shift of of companies that wanted to amass so much data because it, it was seen as an asset or value, but now like the cost and uh, the cost and uh, inefficiencies that require you to hold on to that data, it's like shifted. So now companies don't want to do that anymore. Where did that shift happen? Was it like market-based shift? Was it just a crazy amount of regulation stifled and these companies don't want to hold data anymore? How did that kind of shift? I think you've got different different um, uh, uh, degrees of, um, of shift. So, you know, regulation moves pretty slowly. Um, and, you know, a lot of what was in GDPR, which I've talked about as being a kind of watershed moment, already existed in um, previous regulations, more sort of analog regulations. But they were poorly understood and, you know, largely, um, in many cases, ignored. Um, what, you, what you have, um, you know, with uh, GDPR, it started a, a kind of, um, uh, you know, a creeping barrage where regulators were aware. I think that regulators started to actually hire smart people who got data and understood, understood what was being done with it, how it was being monetized, and also realized that you have this huge engine. So, you know, I think the... WEF said, uh, World Economic Forum said that data is powering around 15% of the world's GDP. So you have this huge engine of growth. And regulators have realized that it's in danger of exploding. So I think regulators are working in concert across the, across the world to try and um, you know, um, take control of this uh, out-of-control engine. At the moment, the other driver, which moves very, very, it, it's, it's imperceptible until you've gone too far. You know how, how when we're being marketed to, you have that, you know, that creepiness feeling when yeah. the marketer, the invisible marketer has gone too far. Um, and, and that sort of happens on a large scale with public opinion. So public opinion, for the longest time, people weren't aware of what was happening with their data. And that was misconstrued as like, people don't care. And young people in particular, they don't give a monkey's about their data. They, they want to have, oh. you know, be served ads. Actually, that flips very quickly. And we've seen that, you know, things like, you know, Netflix films like, um, you know, the, the, the Social the big Dilemma. Hack big and hack. Social Dilemma, yeah. exactly. That, and, and actually, you know, Black I mean. Mirror. Exa- exactly. With that, that show is pro- scary. In, indeed, indeed. So it's proved that when you, when you get that tipping point, which I think we've reached, then it becomes imperative for um, you know, brands who have a business model which doesn't depend on um, aggressive monetization of data to create separation and get away from that. So you see FMCG companies, Unilever, treating data mm. rights in the same way that they treat um, um, you know, ecological concern. And also you have whole businesses like data brokers and the third-party data trade. Their business models become um, you know, um, uh, unworkable almost overnight. This tipping point that you talk about, uh, I feel like kind of came and is currently happening over the last year or two. Just yesterday, I saw a meme on Instagram and it said, uh, you know, you don't need to know what your wife wants for Christmas because you just wait for, you know, for your phone to show you ads of what she wants because our phones are listening to us. So really kind of like, well, my my first question is, is that actually happening to what extent are our phones listening to us? To what extent can a digital marketer reach 
the perfect consumer? I mean, it's interesting. That's a question I get asked more than any other. And, um, you know, the answer that manufacturers and phone manufacturers and platforms will give you is like, no, your phone is not listening to you. But we've all had that situation. I've got like a pet rabbit who generally hops around my home office here. And literally the other day we were talking about needing to get her some some food and like a like a stocking from Santa. And lo and behold, ads for like, you know, bunny munch started appearing in my yeah. social. Now, I, you know, our manufacturers would argue that's not that's not the uh, phone listening to us that they have enough data points from our, our e-commerce history and other. No way. I don't believe, it. I don't believe well, that. Well, and that's the thing. That's the thing, because we are being asked to put a huge amount of trust in an increasingly small number of trust hubs. And what's starting to happen now is that people are starting to doubt that. So, you know, whether that's for, whether our phone, you know, I kind of, I don't believe that the phones are listening to us because it implies that there's more kind of joined up strategy, uh, you know, like an evil plot than there is. In answer to your second question, are marketers getting a you know a super accurate picture of me and what I want? No, they get it's like a it's like a you know a poorly obscured yeah, rear view, it's a mirror shot view. In the dark. You know, I'm getting served, and that's the thing. The first wave of kind of priv tech, um, which kind of socialized some you know an idea of getting money from your data, for example, like Brave. You're still get you, you know you're still getting served ads for things that you bought a couple of weeks ago. I think. It's it's a very it's a very inaccurate um, uh, uh, strategy for for um, gaining customers, and also it's it, it's it's not really entering a dialogue. As someone with a marketing background, I don't want. I find it super boring to just broadcast at people. I want to get into dialogues with 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 um, customers and prospective customers as well, and a, I want to do that in, as part of a relationship of trust. In a perfect world. If we see a situation where, like, uh, you know, I use a phone which has an operating system, and any of the, the anything I type or it hears or it records, I own that data, and then that OS has to seek my permission in order, you know, or that, you know, if it's Alphabet or if it's Apple or whatever, to like, uh, you know, take my data and have a relationship with an advertiser with my data. How does that work in practice? Because I think that. As a consumer myself, Phil's a consumer, you're a consumer. If you told me there was a permissioned way for me to control that spending data where I can actually seek out advertisers, I, I want that. I want discovery. We want music discovery. We want exactly. product discovery. We want these things. If there was a better way to do it, is, do you think that's something that the majority of consumers believe or agree with? Um, I, think, I think I agree, and I think they, I think they do. Um, I think that um, what what we've moved beyond is kind of from privacy per se to control. So actually, what you, Phil, me, and consumers want is to get the um, services that we we appreciate, like streaming music, etc., um, and or, or 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 you know shopping preferences, but to have control about you know when we're when we're open to that. I think if you're looking at the future at the moment, if you think about what's the lowest common denominator. I mean, I got into the whole privacy space via cookie banners. So at the time I was running a London web agency and we were, you know, building websites for clients and using all of this tracking technology without actually knowing where that data ended up. This was Um, pre-cookies. You were one of the pioneers of the concept of of cookies on the internet. 
Exactly. And, and you know, as is often the case, we were kind of a Cinderella of Web2 because we were building like, you know, ad, ad tech solutions for the likes of MSN and we hand them over to them and they get the upside. What we also found is that when they started to get, you know, this the hangover from this data yeah. splurge out, this, that they went to us and said, great, we want to raise your profile. This is your problem. How are we going to deal with these new laws, which require you to disclose what you're doing with these cookies? And guess what? Most organizations were unaware of what they were doing with tracking. And that for us was a big opportunity. We were able to, you know, create software that would, you know, um, uh, categorize cookies, scan sites, and, and create those cookie bars. The cookie bars have now eaten the web because they've got to the point where they obscure the content. And they're still What's the a cookie only bar. Co- you mean like those toolbars? The toolbars where it says, do you, do you accept the cookies? Oh which, my God. Less, of a, less of a thing in the States, but that's, you know, no, I'm part my of My mother-in-law has like 15 toolbars still on her Windows computer. <laughs> exactly. She's, I just ignore I mean, them. I, I, yeah, you ignore I mean, them. Do you remember yeah, when that, cookies uh, first came out, Phil? Like when cookies was a thing in the 2000s, we were like, what is on the computer? We were using our computers and then we'd hear people say, oh yeah, they're tracking us now with these cookies thing. I remember yeah. like in high school, it's crazy. You know, uh, I just want to chime in here. I think it also matters what the data is. For example, I don't mind Netflix tracking what I'm watching and cater to me a new movie. But when it comes to my Fitbit and my personal medical information, oh yeah, that's a good point. That, that's a whole different story. Um, I, I also know some of these stores they're using GPS tracking to see if you've went into their store, and then they will cater specific advertisements to their products after you've left the store. Like, how do they know that I'm there? It's an insane thing. Imagine if if that same consumer data that you're talking about when you're tracking in a store worked if you walked into a hospital. Is that type of data regulated different? Is medical data regulated different than consumer data? Like, why is it not that I walk into my doctor's office, I don't see, a, like, an advertisement for, like, uh, like erectile dysfunction or something. You not will that soon. that should I... Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry for your, I'm sorry for I'm your sorry, loss. I'm only 31 <laughs> years old. I'm joking. <laughs> The, the answer is, I mean, in the States, there are, there are different rules uh, pertaining to uh, medical data and also financial data. And obviously, the background to that is, is abuse in the past. In the, you know, the 60s and 70s, you had like practice of redlining, where you know, whole communities weren't given access to um, you know, life-changing opportunities like a loan or, 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 or similar, similar products based largely on, on racial lines. Is that illegal? It, 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 it's, it's, it's hugely illegal and it has been for a long time. But if you think oh now about the role, I mean, think about how all of this has been ex- exact, you know, accelerated by COVID. There's so much AI being used, for example, in hiring processes that with thousands of people applying for each, you know, maybe MBA or an internship or whatever, they, there's huge amounts of AI uh, of algorithms which are screening out um, individuals before they even get a chance to in many cases, even get a chance to view that job. So mm. the that that kind of engine, um, you know, there's so many more data points um, from things like wearables. Because a couple of years ago, that you know, there were fewer people who, you know, your phone is obviously a, a massive tracking device. But I'm wearing a Fitbit, and actually, since GDPR came in in the EU, which is supposed to fix all this stuff, right? You know, most of the data, the data has exploded. Most of the data from the world was created in the last two years. And it's growing exponentially. So it's actually, there are certain sectors where there are more protections, but actually, you know, we take a holistic approach to, you know, our online lives and, and, uh, and trust. And 
And there needs to be, you know, there needs to be very wide ranging regulations which reflect that too. And also give agency to the um, to the to the consumer. Yeah, that's. I want I want to have that choice. I want to give my give my data to a charity. I want to get paid for my data, maybe from a market research firm. Um, but there, I may not want to give my data at all to a political particular political party. And that's you know that I think that's you know that's very much the direction of travel. If you can give people that control, they start to a um, you know, um, get more proprietary about their data and they start to clean the data. So you start to get a better functioning engine. Because the other flip side of all that cookie stuff is that something like 70% Guardian uh, newspaper in the UK did an, uh, you know, like a mystery shopper exercise on all their intermediaries they were using for, for uh, paid advertising online and found that 70% was going, was slipping via bots via middlemen, et cetera. Wow. This disintermediation that we've seen, you know, DeFi is such a great example of that. And crypto is, you know, that's stamped through crypto like, like British rock, um, is sorely lacking in, 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 in the data space. Do you like playing crypto and Bitcoin video games? I do. I like gaming all the time. Gaming has been around for so long and companies like Sportsbet.io and BitCasino, which is actually the first ever licensed Bitcoin casino, have been around for so long owned by a great company called Coin Gaming. Coin Gaming is a sponsor of Untold Stories. They are fun, fast, and fair. Super cool company run by some really, really cool crypto OGs. The CEO of Coin Gaming used to actually heat his house in Estonia. That was like negative 25 degrees Celsius. He used to heat his house mining for Bitcoin. So these are the people that you're playing games with. It's all transparent. You can see everything on the blockchain. These are some really great people, some great games to play. So if you want to drive crypto awareness together, if you got a question or if you fancy connecting with the team of dreamers and doers, make sure you check them out, reach out to them, coingaming.io. That's the that's the website to check out. So for many of the countries that Bittrex Global serves, there's no easy way for investors to purchase stocks like Apple, Tesla. In fact, just the other day, I personally wanted to get involved in the Airbnb IPO, but I couldn't. There's no way to get tokenized stocks. Or is there? This will be the first and only way that Bittrex Global customers can access the U.S. stock market and legally own U.S. stocks from anywhere in the world. Tokenized stocks. It is so cool. So these shares are tokenized and it's possible to buy like a fractionized portion of a stock. So for example, like Berkshire Hathaway, I think trades at $300,000 a share. Now through Bittrex Global, you can actually just buy $300 worth or $500 worth or even $1 worth of a stock. And then these tokenized stocks are legally bound to the stock itself. And it trades exactly like the stock does. It's beautiful. It's actually what blockchain is supposed to do. It's why we're here in the first place. It's This is bringing about the next level of these like credit and capital markets. And it's allowing global people uh, all over the world to, to, to participate in some of the coolest companies that are based in America today or even companies around the world. Like I could see so many different applications of this one utility. Um, stocks on the U.S. stock market only trade between like 9.30 a.m. and 4 p.m. Just the other day, I had to Google that because I don't even know that. But because these assets are tokenized, they're going to trade 24 hours a day. And not only that, like individual stocks, but investors can also invest in the whole like S&P 500. Uh, they can get into the, uh, all these indexes 
uh, just through Bittrex Global's tokenized stock. It's so cool. Make sure you check out global.bittrex.com forward slash discover forward slash tokenized dash stocks. We're going to have it in our show notes. This is one of the front running new on the front lines application of blockchain technology. And you guys are going to have so much fun with it. Well, speaking of rocks, you were an archaeologist prior uh, in your past life or a lapsed archaeologist as uh, on your Twitter bio. What type of lessons do you think you you learn from that, you know, uh, into coming into data and then coming into crypto? Um, I think it's weird because I've, you know, I've been, I've worked in banking and I've You've spent done everything. time talking about privacy. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super unemployable, Charlie. <laughs> um, so I've, I've, you know, the thing that comes back to me more and more um, from from archaeology is how dangerous it is, obviously, to project project our current, you know, social mores and preconceptions onto the past, but also onto different, um, you know, different um, social groups as well. I mean, I mean, there's a real danger as well with data, you know, in the run up to uh, the the US election in particular, and we've seen this here in the UK as well with Brexit and things like that. Yeah. There's been, you know, weaponization of, of data. Of data, yeah, and I mean, you know, that's the sort of dark side of that kind of annoying. Um, is my phone listening to me? But there, in the run-up uh, to the U.S. election, on both sides, you had a situation where data, so public pools of data, were being used and blended with records, or things like the NRA database, which were being sold out, and you had. Um, that's how they're getting my information. All these different, like, fake. All these things I get in the post in the mail is just because I joined the NRA like four or five <laughs> years ago as a joke or something, and now I get shit like all the time. It's all NRA, I'm telling you. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's you know that's annoying, but I mean the flip side of it was that there were people <laughs> getting text messages with misinformation about whether they were eligible to vote, yeah. documents they needed to take, and 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 when. So you know, there's there there, there it's it's really ripe for a rebalancing. Okay, so. It's actually interesting. I can't even legally own a gun, and I still get like so many ads for <laughs> guns. Yeah, in the in the U.S., uh, for life, they have. You know, if you're a felon, if you've committed a crime, you are you lost your rights for your whole life. I mean, that's not even written in the Constitution. But yeah, you in the U.S., you lose life rights, like you lose your life rights to vote, participate in civic duty, own a gun. You basically become a second class citizen for the rest of your life, even if you've done all your time. It's a it's a shitty situation, but I don't want to talk about that today. And you don't need a gun, Charlie. No, and I don't I don't need a gun. I really don't. Everyone else around me has guns, so I'm 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 in pretty good shape. I got these guns. I got these guns right here. Okay, so let's talk about tap my data because uh, everything that you're talking about leads into this, and it leads into this like de-siloing of data. And you've created a situation. You've created a a, a company and an app that allows people to like store their personal info and whatever information they want to start putting in there into like their own secure locker. And you have check-in locations that allow people to like share some of these things with people they trust. And it'll, and, and you're starting from the ground up. You have this chicken and egg problem as I see it because you got to get a lot of people and then you got to get a lot of the advertisers. But that's not my question. Uh, what's interesting when I was doing the research is that you, you talk about this thing called a data dividend, which is like, to me is like kind of a form of universal basic income for people deciding to like join this new trust economy. Where did you get that concept? How did that all come about? 
Um, I'd like to say I invented it, but I didn't. There's been a, a movement on both sides of the Atlantic. So you've got Andrew Yang with his um, yeah. Yang Gang. They were talking. I mean, you do have a situation where, um, I mean, like, as I mentioned, like data is a huge. It's a trillion dollar part of the part of the economy, and we're not seeing any of that. Um, and there've been various attempts to, you know, how do we repatriate that? You've got a situation where lots of this this economy is. Again, you've got um, companies which are large enough and agile enough to um, outrun, you know, tax, uh, the, you know, the uh, the tax environment in a in a specific in a specific geographic area. How do we recirculate some of that of that of that of that cash? Um, and I think a number of projects approached this in in either trying to plug into that existing system, you know, the data yeah. trade system. So I think you've, we've all downloaded those apps which say, hey, make money from your data. We're Robin Hood of data. And you download it. And then it says, all you need to do is do some surveys. And you go, oh, crap, I don't want to do surveys. I want to, you know, there's been that, there's always been that either trying to plug into that yeah. or there's been very kind of worthy. So there's been a, an acad- a driver sort of academic apps, which have been about, you know, trying to create a complex privacy cloud of me. Problem is, and I was talking to someone about this, um, a, a, a market data specialist this morning, he was saying that in the UK, women over 50 are kind of invisible to um, market insight companies Interesting. because they don't play the games, either literally or the sort of content data harvesting games that other demographic groups do. They're just, they've got better things to do with their lives. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. About that really quick. So growing up, my grandma would watch like TV and she'd buy stuff on on TV all the time. This is like 10, 20 years ago before the internet, really. How did that shopping network get consumer data from my 60-year-old grandmother then? Um, well, well, back then, she if she was, I'm guessing, but if she was doing that, she probably also liked doing things like catalog shopping. Yes. So, so again... The uh, that's sort of what I'm aiming at. The lots of the when you think about, I mean, um, you know, Jamie Burke and others have talked about, you know, the Web three. If you think about the, the you know, first incarnation of the Web, Tim Burns and he was about machines communicating with each other. The Web two was where we became the product, and that was kind of all that data, that oh. new data was plugged into those old kind of Sears catalog outputs. And when you took, think about you know, a lot of the third party data trade. It's using super, super sophisticated technology to still go through very kind of like mid-20th century sales funnels. And it doesn't feel right for the consumer because, as we say, it feels creepy. And at worst, it's getting weaponized. Um, And it doesn't work for the advertisers either. So um, there is very much a need for um, to engage the consumer and make it clear that um, You've got their back, and that, 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 and you know, things like GDPR are super complex. There's 99 articles in GDPR, and I'm not a privacy lawyer, so um, I'm not qualified to, you know, analyze each of those in detail. Many other law- many lawyers would argue, but if I can communicate the, the the essential elements of that and put that in the hands of a consumer with consumer grade tech, then they have a tool to start to chip away at that. And that's what Tap My Data was doing. Rather than try and get too big, we focused on one right, which was, I don't know where my data is. It's probably out there. We found that the average person has like data held with over with 115 organizations. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, and each of those have got a record of you with all the inherent risks of getting hacked or it being wrong or sharing it with the wrong person or it blending into, you know, it blend one data set, you know, a data set blending into another to create a false, a false positive, which could really impact your life chances. Oh, I wonder if I could like trick all these apps, like create like 10 versions of Charlie consumerism or something like be all radically different. I wonder if anyone has ever done that experiment. You you could and people 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 have, but if you could turn it on its head and say, my I hold the master record of my data, and when I'm in the mood to buy, like say you know say my car the windscreen wipers or rubbers perished on them because it's always raining in the UK. You share the data. Uh, yeah, exactly. I open the ports on my on my on my on my personal data store and say, I would like you to quote me happy. Um, on 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 the thing that I'm interested in now, no more of that kind of rearview mirror stuff. But you have to get people into that in a very simple way, which is why we focused on that one question with Tap My Data initially, which was, "Have you got my data? Oh and yeah, can I have it back, please?" Using those rights enshrined in the regulation. When you when you download a new game on your phone, what type of data are they taking from us? Whatever data. Um, you consent to and i think that's you know it comes back to our early point but consent is the kind of bedrock on which all of this but where is their consent i i've never been well, asked it's, to consent. it's buried in like you know line 175 yeah. of legally holistic t's and c's that you're you're not meant to read and that's a problem it's been stretched and stretched and you get to the point where it's like the kind of boy who cries wolf but no one believes when i click on the cookie banner and say yeah yeah i accept i want to read the content I don't believe my rights are being respected, which, which actually devalues that asset because now companies are getting called on that. That consent is being exposed as not valid. In the UK a few weeks ago, the UK regulator did a, a kind of a, did the nuclear option on, on Experian, a credit, a, a credit rating oh, yeah. agency, which basically for the first time they said, um, we're not going to fine you because they found that they were misusing consent. So you're giving consent for one thing that you need. I need a loan, so I want you to run a credit check on me. Fine. That's a fair deal. You know, that's an exchange. Of, yeah. You know, I'm getting something of value for that. I can take that, and that's going to be useful to me. Um, they found that they were using it for all sorts of other stuff, and it was being they, – they'd lost control of it. What the ICO, the UK regulator, said was, if you don't get your um, house in order within nine months, we're going to stop you from processing data. That shuts them down over. Wow. And by so that's an extinction level event for the data trade. That's why it's uh, you know, that's why we're seeing, you know, that's things crazy. like like tap my data and other elements of the PrivTech community, which used to be kind of like the like, you know, cottage industry, all of a sudden these companies are getting funding. We, you know, just yesterday we had our, like a you know, I I, I you know, uh, we had our second priv privacy tech um unicorn um in, in that one's based in Israel. We've got, we've got uh, a big ID, and then in oh, the okay. states we've got we've got one trust who I sold my last company to. They have a fir- they're based in Atlanta, so we're How- seeing this start to 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 coalesce. But you've got to approach a consumer um, in a in a very accessible way, and that was what was missing, and that's what what we tried to to, to fill with with tap my data, make it simple for people and keep well, the trust. When when uh, um, when a company gets a data breach. What does that actually mean? And then in the context of, of what you just said, how would it be different, right? So like my data is encrypted on my phone. 
you're using uh, crypto and blockchain technology to allow it to be like permission so I control my data and I could push it out as opposed to a poll you're using. Will all these regulations that come out over the next year or two, will it benefit our industry or will it be like negative for for all of privacy, even if you're a crypto company like you? Um, I think um, with with all we're, we're going to have to get used to doing more with less mm. in terms of you know that that thing that I was talking about like let's get all the data those days are gone that kind of wild west situation and actually um, the risk associated that has outstripped our ability to 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 monetize it or make other use of it um, I think ultimately. Anything that, you know, there are various projects at the moment which are trying to boil down all this legal stuff into lines of code. And I think that's very, you know, I mean, that's something that the crypto industry does really, really well. At the moment, if I want to exercise all my rights and for a company to manage them, and if I change my mind, it's hugely complex for all yeah, parties. It's too and, much it adds, work. and it adds friction, which is why it's not, it's not working. But if I can wrap my, say, my consent preferences in the smart contract, and then that can be, you know, have certain data associated it with it based on a call from an advertiser. Then you start to get advertisers asking for the data they need and a genuine exchange. And the, the way, you know, the beauty of the blockchain, I remember, you know, being given, shown examples when I was knee deep in cookies a few years ago, the blockchain was starting to become popular and was being you know, examples, case, use cases were being like things like tracing the provenance of gems and stuff like that. And I don't have many precious gems in my life, you know, but I was, you know, the, the dealing with data rights and privacy is a fantastic real world use case of this because we have a problem with all of this. The data trade, every company marks their own homework. You talk about breaches. They say everything's fine here, sir, until there's a catastrophic breach. With, with, we, you can use a blockchain as that central statement of record so that every time a company asks for an aspect of my data or I share some of my data, that's being, you know, that, uh, you know, a transaction is being made on the public blockchain. In our case, we did that on the Stellar blockchain. Oh, nice. I love those guys. Jed is a, is a good friend of mine and, and Stellar is a, is a great blockchain. I know a lot of projects that are, you know, Stellar is that blockchain where I am seeing the most long-term projects being right. built. Uh, like projects that say, you know, give us six months to a year to build this out. We're not doing anything right now. Whereas some other chains are like, we want to get on the fastest chain possible. So I will say that about Jed and, and those guys, they've built an amazing, amazing product. You know, every, you're talking about and use the word transaction a second ago. Well, everything we're talking about is like a symbiotic relationship uh, in the best of worlds. I have data. I walk into a store. Can I share it? I, I'm getting a benefit, they're getting a benefit. But I've talked to a lot of people that believe, and, and you and I haven't talked about this at all yet, that, that me as a consumer can actually get paid for that data. So really like, how is, and, and that to me is like, doesn't really, it's like brave is give me what, 10 cents to look at an ad. Like in the long run, it doesn't really, how is data actually priced? What is the most expensive data that an advertiser would be willing to pay for to have accurate data on a consumer? Like what type of data like has more value? What's, where is the tier? And could you ever see a situation where we're being paid now for this data that we own and sharing? Absolutely. I think one of the problems is that the answer to that is it's opaque because uh. 
at the moment we're not getting any of that of that of that money from our data absolutely there's varying values of data based on um on on you know as we mentioned if it's if it's healthcare data or if it's financial uh, data um is worth far more than like um browsing history general browsing history or social social um, well, let's look at COVID history. data, for example. Let's look at COVID data. There's all this data now of who had COVID, how many times you were tested. It's all out there. Could that ever be sold? Like, could the fact if I have the antibodies for it, now potentially I, I'm a potential advertiser for a hotel, for example, because now I've had COVID. You know, I've had, not that I've had it. I'm just using an example. But uh, could that ever be sold? Could you see something like that? Potentially, yes. As long as as long as you're as long as you're in control, and that's what's that's that's what's absent. And also, the, that would be the, awesome. But it, it 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 would, and that's what's that's or what's scary. missing. And I yeah. think you know, um, brave are brave are really important because they've you know they've socialized the idea that your data has some value and there is some agency. I think what blows it open is actually what we can what we can um, you know the notion that. I can take elements of my data and I can do pricing discovery in a decentralized, you know, you know, data market, say like Ocean. At the moment, the only way I can do that is if I'm pretty crypto savvy, right? But you know, if I can have a situation where there is a user-friendly piece of consumer grade tech to help me chop up bits of my data that I'm happy to share, put it out there either directly or via an intermediary. So something that that we're seeing in the, in, coming in the EU is like data unions. So I may, you know, I may have it may be the NRA or it may be my church or it may be the Scouts or something. I may have there. There are groups that exist already who I trust that I can then entrust that kind of data brokerage too. So combined with decentralized data markets, you can actually do the price discovery oh. out there. So I can put my data Tokenized out there and data. Say, yeah, exactly. So I can, I can, I can basically say, okay, what do you want to pay me for my data? Whereas at the moment, I've got to get what I've got to got to take what you give me and be pathetically grateful. And I think that you know what's interesting from a DeFi point of view is like a couple of years ago when I was getting my loft here converted because no one can afford to buy a bigger house in London. Um, all my builders, that was the last sort of crypto rush, and all my builders were going, "Hey, Gil, are you like trading this crypto stuff?" And I got massive FOMO because I wasn't yeah. at the time. They were all trading. What's different now and interesting is that you know the the characteristics of this bull run is that you know coins led by Bitcoin are are getting acceptance as a kind of mainstream treasury instrument, and so the builders are less interested because it's less accessible for them. Whereas whereas everyone you know not everyone has crypto to stake and get and can play in DeFi, mm. but everyone has data, and I think that's the missing kind of rocket fuel for this you know, this threat in terms of regulation that isn't going away. And also the opportunity that I really believe that crypto offers. But crypto is a super, crypto and blockchain are super elegant ways to break that open. And actually, you know, and actually GDPR was very much in the spirit of that. It wasn't necessarily about shutting businesses down. It was about creating more than more of a level playing field. If I can fork for like the code base from Ocean and set up a data union, I can become the house in my, you know, for for this new kind of data economy that me and others are talking about. And that's what you guys are pushing on doing. I see now already uh, our listeners can download the TAP app. They can put the data, uh, they can go in and, and put some of their, in, into their secure data locker. 
and then start to play around with this concept of being able to have permission data, share your data, um, and get you know potentially get paid for it, earn it. But at the 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 lowest level, at the same time, this crypto world is blowing open the possibility for forget just getting paid for it, but being able to control it and being able to know when you're sleeping at night that these are the companies that have my data. These are the ones that I'm sharing with them to do that. And I'm giving them permission. And at the end of the day, the more control that we have about our, about our own social lives, that's why we're all in crypto, right? Financial control, uh, uh, informational independence and all these things. That's why we're here. Absolutely. You know, no keys, no crypto, as they say. And like, this is, it's, it's the keys to your data. Gil, thank you so much. Gilbert Hill, that's all the time we have for today, everyone. Gilbert Hill, you're the CEO of Tap My Data. I'll have all the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for, for taking the time uh, right before the holiday season and, and talking about what, what, what you've been doing. Um, we're we're going to be uh, uh, releasing this episode next week. And so you're in the midst of doing a lot of crazy things within uh, your protocol. And everyone can can check out the show notes, can can see what you guys are up to follow your blog posts, follow you on Twitter, and get more information about controlling their own data. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. This podcast, Untold Stories, is produced by the BlockWorks Group. Our executive producer is Jason Janowitz and Reed Hannaford. Our show is researched and written by Rafael Rubio, and our chief audio engineer is Wayne Dallaire. Thank you so much, Phil A. Mignon, Phil, for coming on the show today. I am your host, Charlie Schrem. 